Hey everybody, Larry Powell here, your host for Studio HFL. Welcome. This is my 144th interview. This is with Louis Dowdswell. Extremely talented, very articulate, and I think you're going to enjoy this. But before we get to his interview, here's a word from my sponsors. Messina Covers is not just any other case company. David Messina and Erica Howard design and produce some beautiful cases that fit both form and function. And you can choose your case design, fabric, and trim color, add custom engraving, and more. And of course, you can find out more at MessinaCovers.net. Peter Pickett and his crack team of craftspeople are continually innovating and providing the trumpet community with spectacular options for stock and custom mouthpieces. He and Eric Marine can help you find just the right size to fit your needs, and you should definitely consider trying the acrylic cup and rim. And if you're in the market for a custom trumpet, then Peter and Eric can build a Blackburn trumpet just for you. Check them out at picketblackburn.com. To stay current on what's going on with Studio HFL, you can follow me on social media on Facebook and Instagram. And you can watch the live and pre-recorded interviews on the YouTube channel. And while you're there, go ahead and subscribe. My first experience with a Hammond design mouthpiece has turned into a bit of obsession. There is something very comfortable about playing one of Carl's mouthpieces. The comfort, response, and sound are part of the HD experience. Try one of the stock mouthpieces or have Carl make you a custom one. Either way, everything is better in HD, and you can find out more at carlhammonddesign.com. If you're enjoying this podcast, I hope you are, I would love it if you would take just a couple of minutes and go to Apple Podcasts to leave a star rating and a review. Doing so will help improve the visibility of this podcast and draw more listeners. When I first tried an Eastman B-flat trumpet, I was blown away by both the playability and the sound. And the more I found out about the company and got to know the people, I knew that this was a company I wanted to have a relationship with. There is a drive for excellence in design and production of every instrument, not just the high-end products. And the proof of this is that the one and only Doc Severinsen helped to design the Eastman Beginner trumpet model. I still play that B-flat and have added a spectacular cornet and flugelhorn to my arsenal. You can find out more at eastmanwinds.com. I'd love it if you'd visit the Studio HFL website and sign up for the weekly newsletter. And while you're there, you can also visit the merch page and buy a Studio HFL shirt for yourself and as a gift for someone else. Of course, you can do that at studiohfl.com. My current situation with my C trumpet is a bit ridiculous. My Shire C, which Samantha Lane helped me trial and choose, is the most versatile C I've ever played. The same goes for the new Destino designed by Doc. This horn sizzles when I need it to sizzle and is as smooth as silk when I wear my sil- uh, never mind. Uh, anyway, the line of Shire's trumpets includes the Q series, which are production models, and the custom series. Either way you go, you'll love the sound you get, and you'll also experience exceptional customer service. Find out more at seshires.com. Here's how you can access exclusive content like the interview excerpts. I'd like to invite you to become a part of the Studio HFL community by going to Patreon and choosing from one of the four tiers of support. You can help to financially support the show for as little as $36 a year. That's only $3 a month. Benefits include exclusive access to interview excerpts, a behind-the-scenes report, an invitation to be in the room with a guest during an interview, product discounts, and more. You can join the community of faithful supporters by visiting patreon.com 
slash Studio HFL. And now, on with the interview. Uh, it's a pleasure to finally meet you. You know, yeah, I, you too. I, I tell all of my guests, you know, I feel like I've been stalking you guys for a while because, you know, I follow you on Facebook and YouTube and, and you know, yeah. I, I know way more about you at this point than, than you do about <laughs> me. But uh, yeah, and, uh, you know, I, I talked to Wayne, interviewed him a few months ago, and of oh, course, yeah. your name came up uh, in conversation. And uh, yeah, he's, uh, I, I think he's uh, rather impressed by, <laughs> by your talents. Oh, for sure yeah bless him which yeah he's the uh, best he's the best yeah uh in fact uh, i had gone through some chop issues recently and i called oh, him yeah? and i said hey man you know uh bobby shoe the same thing you know I, I called him and i said help and they were great both of them you know oh, just man. they know they know more about the trumpet than they need to but it's as in they know just so much like about all those little things that can help and right. it makes such a huge difference being able to speak to someone like who can also not only play but understand all of those little things that make everything a bit easier when we play you right know? right that's what i always think of when i think of wayne and bobby um as teachers but yeah man they're killing oh yeah. man that's great yeah wayno's great i had a little chat with him the other day um he seems to be doing really well, which is nice because he had some pretty bad news over lockdown. But um, I think is he putting uh, maybe, is he putting weight back on? I knew that was something he was I, trying to do. I'm not sure because um, I'm not sure if it's all public knowledge yet. But I believe that he is. Um, he he called me to sort of tell me that he had uh, he'd done very well against the cancer. Yeah. So I think. Um, I don't know whether that's common knowledge yet. Either way, I think. Um, well, and I'll, I'll keep it's, that out. It's 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 good news. He just basically said I wanted to talk to you about it before I put it on Facebook, and he hasn't put it on Facebook yet, so I didn't know whether yeah. he had started explaining it. But either way, it seems to be very good news, uh, unless things yeah. have changed since I spoke to him. And uh, and I guess he'll be looking to put some weight back on. I think he wants to stay a bit lighter anyway. Yeah. Um, uh he's a big guy anyway you know just a, it's just every single time i go and see him i'm just like oh yeah you're, you're pretty big <laughs> just as like a <laughs> as a personality and as a as an experience he's a right he right. plays like that as well um yeah but yeah man he's killing yeah so yeah, yeah wicked. well um so we could talk about wayne you know for an hour if you wanted to but really <laughs> <laughs> no you know that. i i, I want to know i want to know more about you and uh, you know, it, and I tell people, look, this is not a gearhead podcast. I, you know, if they want to know what mouthpiece or trumpet you play, they can check your website or they can yep. email you. Yep. But, um, you know, I like to talk uh, about things, life, music, you know, you know yep. how you're managing things during this ridiculous time right now. And yeah. in fact, you are you in London? I'm about 14 miles out of London center. So within the, um, within the orbital motorway which is considered greater london i'm on the edge of that but i am i mean it's really awkward i'm like in a different town but you would still consider this london for anyone that doesn't live in london <laughs> well it's the same here in indianapolis right i we live yeah. on the outskirts and so we still say indianapolis right? yeah even though like when i went to chicago i was staying in a place called naperville um yeah. from my point of view that's chicago <laughs> even right. though it's not right even though right. it's a different right. city so right. yeah, yeah i guess it's kind of similar similar yeah. yeah so uh but you guys are in the middle of a was a 30-day lockdown 
Is that yeah, right? something like that. I uh, I don't know. I uh, I can only imagine that they're locking down and that they're going to continue these uh, lockdowns as long as they have a vaccine around the corner. Um, sort of sounds counterintuitive, right? But um, I guess they're trying to save lives at the extent, uh, you know, at the expense of the economy. If the, if the vaccine proves to be, you know, one that we can use. Right. Um, because right now, like, uh, the UK's economy has dropped so drastically. There's going to be massive consequences with our national health service and things. So there, there are going to be, you know, plenty of excess deaths that could have been prevented without lockdown. But I'm yeah. not on really one side of the argument necessarily. I don't really know what to think. I hope the government know more about this than I do. So I'm presuming they do. And if yeah. they do, yeah. uh, then uh, then hopefully they're taking the correct precautions, even if things that they're doing look stupid from my point of view um so you know right. it's a bit it, everything looks like too obviously wrong for it to actually be wrong if you see what yeah. i mean um i've got a i've got a friend that lives up in birmingham oh yeah and uh we had worked uh cruise ships together uh, a few oh, yeah. years back yeah, yeah. but we've stayed in touch and she was telling me i guess that the uk government had deemed uh like artists careers what was it? Uh, Unviable. Yes, yes. Yeah. And I, I, it was a jaw-dropping moment. It's like, are you kidding? <laughs> I mean, we, we, you know, we know it's going to be a struggle going into this anyways, but to, yeah. to essentially say yeah. that, uh, and not necessarily that it's not essential, but not viable. Man, that hurts. Yeah, yeah well, uh, you're probably talking to one of the very few people that is, um, um wouldn't say an agreement with that statement if it was taken out of context at all, but um, I'm I'm very much um, under the impression that we're all going to need to adapt anyway to how we make money during this period and how we pr continue to do that. And I'm young enough, uh, or, I say, or should I say not old enough <laughs> to be able to just sit on my laurels and um, live off whatever accumulative wealth I have earned over the past 30, 40 years of my career, I, I'm going to, I need to find another way of doing things or go and do something else because whether or not the government says what I'm doing is unviable, you know, um, we have some very, very strange um, financial uh, like um, self-employed um, grant based money things um, that are going to people that um are probably requiring a requ sorry requiring a financial bailout um, when they're earning. It's it's complicated, right? So a lot of the people that have been creating work for people over the last twenty years haven't been given absolutely no support. Yeah. But the people that have been doing that work for the people that have been creating the work are being bailed out by the government. Yeah. In other words, if you earn over fifty thousand pounds, even one penny over that. Um, then you get zero support. Um, uh, and the reason for that is that supposedly uh, if you earn over £50,000, on average, you will earn £250,000, um, which I don't know what you do about the people that earn below £250,000. Right. So right. like, 
I don't expect my government to understand the nuances of my business um, because it's such a weird business anyway, particularly the way that people communicate and the way that people um, find themselves doing bookings and, and, and are being fixed to do things. Um, and actually the career progression is also very strange and unnatural, particularly from like an employment step point of view. Um, usually with an employed person, you would sort of start at the bottom and then just slowly go to the top um, or move and bridge your gap and, you go up and do a different in a different company what we do it either happens really quickly um, or it never happens um <laughs> it's kind of the way it goes and you and uh, or you could be one of the very few people that maybe just sort of stays there and then kind of rapidly you know finds their feet a bit further on but generally speaking once you know once you hit a certain point and you're playing um and you're the right personality and the right sort of person then it, it should work out for you we regarding covid it's like i i don't actually know what the government is supposed to do like i i don't know what they can do for people like me who have thrown all their eggs into doing something that funnily enough a pandemic is going to um is going to crush but i'm also incredibly realistic about it um and and i have to look at all i have to look at alternative ways of earning money that doesn't mean not music related, but as I said at the beginning of this spiel I've just started with, I think it's very important that we uh, that we look to adapt rather than to. Um, uh, I, I think it's very, um, what's the word? Um, it's ineffective uh, to just complain. Um, so I don't expect my government to understand the nuances of my industry, and I also recognise that the more money that's given out to people, the more money I'll be paying for in taxes as a result of that in the future. And uh, I try and look at it as as measured as I can. I almost wish that they were giving out less money so that I didn't have to pay for it in the end. But uh, maybe that's selfish. I'm not sure. But either way, I'm, I try and be realistic about these things, and I hope that they know more about this than I do. Because if they do, then they can make a better informed decision than I can. And sure. as I said at the beginning, like it all seems to be wrong and it can't all be wrong. It can't all be wrong. They, they, they have to know something I don't know. And I'm willing to give them that sort of um, leniency, if you will, to make those decisions. But regarding the industry, I, uh, I don't think it's ever going to come back the way it was. And I'm going to look back at my life in 20 or 30 years time and think about those sort of seven or eight years of my life where when I started playing they were like the good old days <laughs> which is kind of weird thought that it's not going to be the same but I'm going to have to look at alternatives you know education and things like that are perfectly you know good good ways of um of earning money and also very honest and 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 helpful and useful and so mm -hmm. hopefully I have a bit of uh, information to 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 give away and and maybe you know look look to do something like that I'm not sure well I, I I appreciate the depth that you went into that, because I think a lot of artists aren't necessarily thinking as deeply about the situation or they know they have to adapt, but they're just sitting there like, uh, no idea which way to go. Right. I mean, yep. so the, so, you know, there are going to be some, some that are not viable, some that are just are going to disappear. And then it's what comes out on the other side are going to be, I think spectacular, <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, with, with remarkable, you know, uh, uh, tragedy trauma always seems to create great art. Yes. You, you can't imagine that, that coming out of the pandemic won't create better music, better dance, better paint, better, yeah. uh, artistic, better poetry, better literature all the way around. Um, 
So, yeah. you know, it's unfortunate that we have to go through it, but, you know, humanity will benefit somehow uh, yeah. culturally on the other side. It, it appears to me as though some people are going to lose their jobs over this music musicians, as I say, I'll be honest and realistic about it. Um, <clears throat> are there too many musicians working right now? I don't know the answer to that question, but it's a question being asked. Um, are wages of musicians going down um, more than they should be? Um, uh just you know pre-covid again i don't know the answer to that question but it's definitely a question that's worth asking and actually having a conversation about um would fewer musicians make the wages of musicians go up quite possibly um is that something that is useful again it's a question that needs to be asked and, and talked about but i don't have the answers to these things um i just ask questions because i think they're interesting um i think with regards to um i think with regards to whether or not you know, some people will choose to go and do something else and will never go back to playing. Um, that's a decision that needs to be made on an individual level. Um, do I, you know, the word unviable, I find interesting. I, I feel like people are like jumping on this word. Um, like there's no way that Boris Johnson doesn't think that, that he thinks that art is unviable. Like he is the biggest fan of art. Like he really is, um, and that would be silly not to suggest. And uh, I'm not uh, trying to show support or 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 dismay at the guy. I'm just trying to state what I think is fact. And I I feel as though um, <clears throat> at the end of this, there will be fewer players. And um, when I say adapt. Um, one thing, the first thing that happened in the pandemic, I remember Callum Au, who we may may get onto later as a as a as a partner of mine, a music musical partner of mine, um, and he's my best man at my wedding. We're very very close, and he he uh, we sort of work a bit as business partners. Uh, we sort of fulfil each other's cracks um, in our uh, in our special abilities, if you will. Um, so we work really really well to to use each other to to kind of um create things anyway he um he said to me uh i was like i don't know what to do at the beginning of the pandemic should i just sort of chill out and do nothing you know take the government grant and have a laugh and he said no he said now right now is the time that you should turn it on because it's times like this where competition becomes uh, interesting. A lot of people will sit on their laurels and they'll wait for it to go away. And then they'll think that things will be there at the end. Callum was saying it's times like this, where if you, if you get ahead of the game now in, I don't know what it might be like built, just starting a company or like, um, uh, you know, coming up with like trying to come up with new fresh ideas. Um, if you are one of the people that is trying to innovate then when this is over, you will have a way bigger like stepping stone um, than the people that just sort of waited because they'll have sunk. I'm not sort of talking necessarily about like individual competition. I, I don't really look at the industry like that. Some people do. I, I don't. Um, I just see it as everyone trying to help each other make a bit dosh and, and enjoy what they do. But he's right to say that there are two ways that you can behave during a time like this. Um, uh, for me, anyway, when we started, I ended up buying a house right at the beginning of it, which I don't know <laughs> whether it was a good or bad idea in my first place. And I spent the entire of lockdown learning DIY. I'm currently building a an outdoor studio in my back garden um, and things like that. So I'm I'm trying to like not 
reskill, which is what the government have asked mm -hmm. us to do. But just, you know, get more skills and uh, find other things that maybe I enjoy as well. Like my dad loves building stuff. He's built houses in the past. He's an electronic engineer, but I've never really got massively into it because the trumpet's always taken priority. And, you know, there have been cut maybe a month or so where I haven't played over this period. Um, and uh, I've managed to skill up pretty heavily in other sides, which I found as fun, if not more fun than playing. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Because when you're on that, that trajectory up the skill level, the ladder, you know, it's it's much quicker at the the bottom of it, and then it's then it slows down once you once you get better. So if you can hit eighty percent in all those skills, then then uh, it's quite satisfying, and I'm I'm quite like that anyway. So it's been for me, this has been a great period of my life. Um, I wouldn't say that it's been the best for my career, but everyone's come to a standstill. So you know, yeah. either either you get on with it and try and make something happen, or, or you just wait and, and we'll see yeah. we'll see what happens at the end. I think that's yeah. where it is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's let's take a little bit of a left turn and uh, let's talk about uh, you said looking back maybe seven or eight years that uh, you'd been playing trumpet. You've been playing longer than that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been playing since I was nine. So yeah, okay. I'm 27 on Sunday. So, well, happy birthday. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, I'll have been playing for quite a while. Put it that yeah. way. So uh, did you come up, you know, I think uh, there's some stereotypes with uh, the British, the English schools is that you come up through a brass band and a community. And yeah. is that kind of the situation with you? No, um, I, I came from, I did play in a brass band in the Portishead Town Band down in southwest of England. I'm sort of mainly from the southwest near Bristol. Um, and there was a brass band there, but uh, I didn't have a cornet. I only had a trumpet, and I borrowed a cornet and started playing in their youth band. And I did, I did play for them for quite a while, but um, that wasn't really my. I wouldn't have considered that like my forward road. I would have considered that as like just something I, I had on the side. Mm -hmm. um, not suggesting for a second I didn't learn anything from that experience. I oh, did, yeah. but it wasn't. It wasn't that that took me. You know. F uh, further forward quickly for, for some people like that's all there is in their communities particularly up in the north i'm not again not suggesting that there there aren't music schools and things like that, that people can go mm -hmm. to but there really is a culture up north um and it's it's a it's an older it's 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 a pretty old culture of of every town having a band and mm -hmm. everyone basically getting an opportunity to play in that band and the people that show most talent end up going into the band and then they have the competitions between all the different towns. Mm -hmm. um, and that's been a thing, you know, for a very long time, um, mining communities and things like that. So I'm not from a town like that. I'm from a town in the South. And uh, there are some brass bands in Wales and there are some other brass bands in the very far end of Southwest of the UK, down on the little tail in Cornwall. But mm -hmm. mainly it's up in the North. Um, and a lot of the players I know um, even still around my generation, some of the really great players, some trombone players as well, some tuba players, they all went through, particularly the northern ones, they all went through mm -hmm. that progression. Mm -hmm. And um, some of the best players in the country are, are, are brass banders like, um, like Phil Cobb, for example, you know, yeah. very well, well known for being part of that community. And um, and he's just an absolutely astonishing trumpet player. I, I, yeah, it's crazy. But uh, no, I, I, I kind of, I went, I, I've, my mum was a music teacher 
So, um, and she ran a big band. So it was more like, for me, it was, you know, um, being allowed to go and see, go and hear her big band play. It was like a semi-professional band, if you will. You had some guys that played on weekends and stuff. And uh, they just had a had a blow band on a Wednesday. Um, and we would go down as kids, go and watch it. And, and I actually played drums first before trumpet. So I, I started playing drums in the band before I started playing trumpet in the band. Um, so that was really fun. But um, yeah, and then uh, and then and then I went to uh, a couple of different music schools um, and then onto the Royal Academy of Music in London. Well, but there had training. to be a there had to be a point in there, though, where you were like, uh, I mean, at nine years old, you're not thinking I'm going to make this a career. Right. There had to be a period of inspiration where you're like, hey, you know, you've either experienced uh, a live concert or a recording of somebody who is just like you know, blown your mind where you're like, okay, I got to be like this person. Or you, you know, you have these performance experiences where like, you know, that, that rush of adrenaline, right. That we get for some performances is like, you know, and some of us end up chasing that into a career, you know, hoping to get that, that feeling every time. What, what was it for you that, that made you decide to make it a career? Oh, maybe this is a bad, maybe this is a bad answer, but it's an honest one. (laughs) In all honesty, I, I, I can only I can't pinpoint anything in particular that did it. When I was a kid, I wanted to be a pilot. I spent so much time playing Microsoft Flight Simulator '98. You know, <laughs> as a kid, I just loved it. It's the only thing that ran on my computer, but um, at the time. But I uh, uh, I wanted to be a pilot. Um, but um, it's it's weird, you know. I got and no regrets here, by the way. But I got sort of um, put in a system of um these mute i'm not sure you have them in the us um and we only have i think three or four excuse me (coughs) three or four um in this country but they're specialist music schools so um when i was 10 i don't even playing maybe i started when i was eight i don't remember but i maybe only been playing like a year and a half two years and um I think I was probably quite good as a child. I don't remember it really, but I went to this specialist music school that was in the southwest of England, and um, the uh, my mum managed to get me in there. It was boarding school, and my sister was already there playing clarinet. And um, the trumpet teacher there is a guy called Paul Denegri. Um I also had another one called Simon Jones, and they were incredibly inspiring guys. Uh, and I was classically trained there until I was 16. And the, in these schools, uh, when I was a boarder, I'll give you a quick rundown of my, um, my practice scenario at the age of 10, right? Um, uh, you wake up, I think it was something like, you wake up at 6.30 um, and then you have breakfast at 7.05. And then you finish your breakfast at uh, 7.30, something like this, and then you had early morning practice, all right? So early morning practice, you walk down to the, the music school. I think it was something like quarter to eight to uh, ten past nine when practice when school started. So you had you had practice sessions that were um uh, what's the word uh, not accompanied um, overlooked by these practice or supervised by these practice mm-hmm. supervisors, and there were these. Um, guys had just finished university or something or music college and they wanted a job for a year. So they would go down to Wells where I was at school and they would overlook you practicing. 
Um, and so we had an hour and a half in the morning and then we had usually maybe two hours in the day. And then we had after school practice, which was before dinner, uh, wow. which lasted another hour and 15 minutes. So at age 10, I had four, maybe four and a half hours of practice scheduled into my diary at school every day. And usually on the weekends as well, they had these, these things set in. So um, it was a really intense program. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And like, even when my mum moved to Wells and I, and I stopped being a boarder and my little sister joined, um, we still had practice periods allocated in the day instead of lessons. So there was still two, three hours every day. And if you weren't practicing, you were told you had to practice because of course, invariantly, we were trying to mess around as kids sometimes when, <laughs> when, when, the, when the, the supervisors had gone to a different floor or something. But right. you really would practice for a lot of time. And, and it just, from that moment on, it just didn't seem realistic there would be anything else I'd do. Mm. You know, there were some players there that were absolute virtuosos and they went and they've gone on. Some of them have become soloists. Some of them have become, you know, accompanists. Some of them have become, you know, all sorts of things. But then there are some people also that, that didn't make it. Um, and for those people, I, I, I maybe feel a little bit more sympathetic towards because they're not promised this like career of, of vibrant, you know, this amazing career as a musician. But it definitely feels as though if you are in one of these schools, you are the creme de la creme of the players in the country. It wouldn't necessarily be the case, I'm not suggesting. I'm just saying that right. when you're there, you feel like you're there, you know, you've got a gigantic scholarship to an incredible school because you're yeah. a good musician. Um, you feel like you, because of that, you just go through the program. Uh, and then almost everyone at the end of these schools goes into music college. Um, and some people don't. Some people go to university and they study something else. But most people go to music college. And, um, and then what you do when you get to music college is you realize that, oh, there are some really great players that didn't go to one of these schools. So you start sort of thinking like, Oh, and to be honest with you, it's, I know it doesn't really answer your question necessarily, but it, it really has just been like this, this process of just continuing what I was probably quite good at. There wasn't really anything else to it. I, mm -hmm. I like being good at things, and if, if there's something I'm good at, I tend to do it more. Um, and I just kept doing that. And then for me, especially like with, um, if you will, like maybe something in my playing, like the high note thing, you know, um, wait, you can play high notes. <laughs> yeah. That's what people like, like, like to talk to me about. That, that, none of that came through this process either. Like I sort of figured a lot of that stuff out myself. But what I mean is like, it, it, it's, in, it's interesting um, when I look back that I can't really see any other way that this would have gone. And I, I actually think that's a really good thing because I was, when I got to 20, I was pretty well informed about what I had coming for me, you know, as a, as a muso. Um, and you like, I really, I know so many people I know that play now, um, they had only decided they were going to be a musician when they were 16 or 17. Mm -hmm. Like, I can't remember the day I decided I played trumpet. It just, it just felt like the right thing to do. And as I say, I used to be a drummer before I was a trumpet player. And I think the proof in this is that I was clearly a better trumpet player than I was a drummer. And um, that just overtook it. So whatever I was going to be better at, I think I was just going to pursue that and just go for it. You know, I kept, yeah. when I was a kid, I always get the uh, the old sort of, um, uh, you've got to make sure you've got your backup plan. You know, of course, I, right. I never did. 
<laughs> I never had my backup plan, and now, and now I'm sitting in a pandemic in my house, right. just kind of chilling right. out, trying to fi- fix my fridge, you know. Or something, something <laughs> like that. Yeah. But uh, it's uh, yeah, I don't really have anything in particular. I mean, maybe, maybe my mum's big band. And in 1999, the Big Fat Band released a record um, called Swinging for the Fences, their first one. And I heard Wayne play for the first time. So I would only have been six or seven when I heard that. And I hadn't even started playing the trumpet at that point. So um, I remember trying to play all those things when I was a kid at maybe 10 or 11 years old and getting nowhere near them. But still, it was an inspiration. It was something to look for. And I just wanted to be Wayne Bergeron. So maybe maybe that was it. But but I think even by that point, I, I, I didn't know what else I was going to do it just felt mm-hmm. like okay this is mm-hmm. i guess what i'm going to do and with my mum and music teacher just sort of worked out that way it's kind right. of a long-winded sort of boring story but it's the truth <laughs> well it's it's not boring i mean it's it, and you know people say that all the time sorry for the long answer to your question i'm like no that was the the, the best answers is the are the long ones right yeah. um so during that time you were at that school you said about nine to six or ten to sixteen right were you gigging did you start gigging at all during that Uh, or was it just focused on school uh, so straight after i went to that school i went to another school very similar that is about a mile away from where i am now called the purcell school um there are only 180 students in it and i was a boarder there as well so that was i had a great couple years there it's just hilarious met some of my closest mates anyway a very similar school a much smaller uh, but really close to London. So for me, uh, we used to have Saturday school at Wells, which was the first school I was at. Um, and uh, there's a program uh, called the National Youth Jazz Orchestra mm-hmm. um, in the UK. And um, that has, it's been going for over 50 years now. And every single player, any commercial player that you know from the UK, bar a couple, went through that process. Wow. That, that process back back in the day, <laughs> back in the good old days, um, it's not so much the same now. They've kind of changed it up a bit, which um, uh, maybe I'll talk about on a different podcast. But they uh, it used to be this really, they would rehearse on Saturdays and it was up to 25 years old, which is quite a big deal because mm-hmm. um, when you're a kid, generally speaking, you're playing with people that are the same age as you. Um, and if you're like a lot of these people that were in the National Youth Jazz Orchestra, better than everyone else playing in the same age as you, there was there, there would be nowhere for you to go um, to get an experience where you could be with people that were maybe a couple, three years older than you that had a bit more experience. So this is a great opportunity. My mum used to drive us three hours every Saturday there and back um, to go and play in these rehearsals. And they had like the National Youth Jazz Orchestra 2 or Nigel 2. Mm-hmm. Uh, like started in and then they would pick people from that um band to move up to number one but mm-hmm. there would be like 12 or 15 trumpet players turning up to number one that are all the music colleges in london and uh, all trying to basically fight for a spot that was what it was it was a big brawl of testosterone everyone was in there trying to get in <laughs> elbows in you know no i'm playing this tune you know and then if you miss something you were off you know it's really cutthroat environment and wow. I'm not suggesting for a second that that environment is is right for everybody. But for me, it was amazing. And it was amazing for Callum. And it was amazing for so many of the other players that, that were there. And that has now gone. Um, it doesn't run in the same way it used mm-hmm. to. And maybe for, for good reason for some people. But mm-hmm. for me, as I say, like I really, really uh, learned a lot from that experience. And that band was like, it had some unbelievable musicians in it. And it, and that band, as I say, it rehearses on Saturdays and uh, it used to have maybe two or three gigs a week, which when you were a kid was great. 
Um, and you'd always get paid £60 for a gig, which I tell you what, when you're 13, four, not 13, <laughs> when you're 15 or 16 years old, £60 goes a long way. That's a lot of McDonald's. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, it's, <laughs> it, was, it was really great. And it was pocket money for me. And uh, I wasn't in the band until 2012 officially, or maybe I, I wasn't lead trumpet with the band until 2012. And when I took over as lead trumpet, um, you know, <clears throat> uh, that was an opportunity for me to play lead trumpet every single week. I think I was 17 or 18 uh, with other 25 year olds. And I had to sort of, I was dictating to them. Everyone in the band was older than me. I had to dictate to them like how we were going to phrase this, you know, it was such an amazing experience for a lead trumpet player. And I was just fortunate that I had chops, you know, because that was really the only difference between me and some of the other guys. It was that, that, that a lot of the music that they had in the band was written by people in the band and it was almost unplayable. So whoever could get closest got the chance. And the, the year that I took over on lead trumpet, uh, my contemporary Tom Walsh, you know, he had left as, as, as lead trumpet before and, uh, and he kind of taken me under his wing and, um, and I, I basically learned from him, you know, musically, what, uh, to what level of intensity and to what level of sort of detail these things had to be taken to. And, um, and without that, no one had ever talked to me about how important it was to come off on four, if you know what I mean? Just like, <laughs> like, like, you know, and it sounds crazy now, but at the time, I was totally unaware that the end of the, the, end of the note was as important as the beginning of the note. But learning it that way was the right way for me. So as I say, when I was 15, I started traveling up with my mum to London. And then when I was 16, I left that school because it had Saturday school and I moved to London and went to a different one of those schools. And then I, I didn't have Saturday school. So I could travel in from where I live now, like 15 minutes mm-hmm, to London, mm-hmm. do those rehearsals. And then that was kind of my stepping stone into the industry because when you're in Nijo and someone on a gig with maybe the Sid Lawrence Orchestra or somebody like that falls ill last minute, they need a student. They go to Nijo. Who's playing lead trumpet in Nijo? He'll be good enough. So then they call you. So then you get another stepping stone. And then these stepping stones are the way that you build your career in, particularly in London, you know, um, just always being there at the right time, the right place. And then when you get the opportunity, go and do it and nail it. You know, there's no, you can't, you can't screw up because there are too many players for you to, to, to right. do that. So you just got to go and do your best. And, 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 if, and if people like you, you'll be back. And, yeah. uh, and that's kind of, that, that's the process for me was, was going to that band and, and, and have people, you know, recommend me for things. And then hopefully I'll go and not, not make a fool of myself. You know, I'm sure, I, I'm sure it's happened before, but <laughs> you know. Well, and that stuff doesn't end up on YouTube, right? <laughs> I mean, that's, uh, yeah. Well, yeah, right. yeah. So uh, yeah, you know, you you mentioned the high notes, and of course, that's that's part of what distinguishes you from a lot of players. It's like Wayne or you know Roger Ingram, any of those any of those guys. But you know, there are a lot of guys and gals that can play high notes, but not necessarily can do the musically, you know, and not play the style. Yeah. So yeah. you know, I look at your playing as not like, wow, he's a great high note guy. I'm like, man, he's a great musician. Thank you know, you. I. Well, and honestly, that's that's really because, yeah, I appreciate that you can that you can scream the way you do and you play really clean like Wayne. You know, I mean, that's that's something I think that a lot of people were impressed by with Wayne when he first came on the scene was like, holy cow, that's clean. Right. (laughs) Right. And it's just like, uh, you know, and Maynard was Maynard. 
but yeah. you know, uh, Wayne provided something. Uh, oh, I think people were were hungry for that. But anyway, so yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. I, I, I look at I look at your playing as, uh, yeah, he's got high notes, but first of all, great arrangements. Yes. played really well i mean you've you put together some bands that are just i mean it seems like the best of the best players oh yeah they're they're bad they're badass they're amazing yeah right so uh, yeah. and you know so uh, the the high notes are, seem like icing on the cake maybe i appreciate that because that's that's how i want it to be seen as well um you gotta remember as well like uh, as i said at the beginning of this podcast or this interview uh, that for me, like, you know, this whole conversation about COVID, for example, without going back there, it's, um, I'm, I'm much more a process over, sorry, much more a product over process guy. I'm much more a, um, I'm much more interested in doing something and, and, um, making a product that I think appeals to lots of people and will make lots of people happy. I'm not particularly interested in what it does for me, like on an artistic level, if you see what I mean. Uh, everyone's different some people are 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 soul searching for this thing that they need to make uh if you know what i mean that 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 defines them um i just hope that what i make and create people will enjoy um uh i and, and by the way i wouldn't do it if i didn't like it so i still enjoy the process um but it the high note thing is uh as i said to you earlier as well like with Nigel um that's where I learned how to play in the upper register musically and if you look at Wayne <clears throat> Wayne didn't become world famous until 2000 you know um re not really like he was always a great player but we didn't know about him as much until the big fat band came out. I certainly hadn't heard of him and my mm -hmm. parents hadn't, and they were big band fans, you know, um, I'm sure it was a little different in the U S but from a, from a, like a world, like a world point of view, you know, anyway, he, uh, I'm very fortunate to have had him as, as my idol um, and as my conceptual sort of like goal um so the way the way i play is like i guess here it sort of starts with his influence um <coughs> it sort of starts with his influence but uh your the high notes shouldn't sound like high in my opinion um i want them to sound exciting not really fussed as to whether or not they sound um impressive or not mm -hmm. i want it to sound exciting and there's a certain way that um wayne plays that is uh that is both impressive and exciting and very very usable in 2020 yep. you know like people want that on their record um and i think when i was a kid i sort of thought about that and as i said earlier you know not so interested in the process i am more in the product i thought right that seems like a really good I must have thought this as a kid. That seems like a really good thing to try and achieve. If I can sound like Wayne, then I can work like Wayne, you know? Um, and then, you know, I probably... Yeah, well, now, you know what? Hang on, though. I've had that same thought, but it hasn't worked for me. <laughs> I think maybe, <laughs> I, I, you know, I think I have, as I, say, as I was saying, I think I might have age on my side, though, because there's... 
there's a certain amount of when you're when you're a child when you're a child you you soak up like a sponge and whatever you're sort of exposed to uh, in those crucial years i think particularly from learning lead trumpet the ages of between 14 and 23 when your body is becoming uh, capable of actually exerting that sort of pre the energy because it's a big energy ask you know um it, i think that's a really crucial time for lead trumpet player um to to figure a lot of things out and to soak everything up and i used to literally sit on youtube and every day i would type in wayne bergeron and then like search it and filter it by upload date so every single day i would watch the latest video that came out and i had seen every single video on youtube of wayne not recently of course i'm a, bit, a little older and i haven't got the time to do that but when i was a kid i used to do that and i'd be up till four in the morning watching videos of wayne and it was just osmosis 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 it just went in and i approached playing much more like wayne when i was younger than how i do now and that's the interesting thing is that um as i've become more <coughs> influenced by other musicians as well like things i have i've moved away from some things that wayne does not not by choice but just by mm -hmm. what happens to you musically yeah, so you broaden your my, style. Yeah, my approach used to be more like Wayne than it is now, but I'm more capable of playing as clean as Wayne now than I was when I was younger. So it's like a like a musical concept thing. Um, but I'm very, I think I'm very fortunate to have had Wayne as like a target, and have YouTube as an opportunity to not only lap up everything that there is to learn about and like see him, not only hear him play, see him right. play. That's super important. You know, and see him playing live, different thing. Um, it's just as good, but it's a different thing. Um, and but not only, as I say, to so to soak all of that up, but to also put stuff onto YouTube, and also the ability to film myself on my phone, um, and that be a good enough standard for me to learn more about my playing and help. Sort of like I feel as though like there's so much helping musicians now get good. That there's no excuse not to be good, particularly right. if you're growing up now. Do you know what I mean? Like, think Absolutely. about it. I say this in clinics to kids all the time. It's like, just think about growing up in the 70s, 80s, or even 90s without the internet. I don't care whether it was a vinyl, a tape, or a CD. You had to go out and buy it. You had to have it so that it was available to you. Mm -hmm. If it wasn't available to you, then how are you even possibly going to know? And they don't get it. They don't understand that that. They have every all the information in the world at their fingertips and they're too lazy to use it you know so um it's totally different you know so i kind of got lucky i think in the time i grew up where i remember the world without the internet so i appreciated it when it came but when the internet came i was really interested in it i'm a big computer geek and i really enjoyed sort of like doing that and enjoying that side of things but you know, with regards to high notes, it's just something I really wanted to do. Really, 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 really wanted to do it. Mm -hmm. And so I did it. And I know that sounds like, ah, uh, but I, I honestly think there might be some of my anatomy that helps with that. Maybe, maybe. But um, uh, I've always been really interested in, in if you could take my brain out of my head and put it in someone else's. Could I play a double C? Uh. Like, like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. No, I, I, well, I, I, no, I, I, I agree with you. I think there's something, you know, phys physically or physiological about everybody. I mean, if you look at, 
you know, some lead players, they have a gap between their front teeth, right? Yeah. And so some people go out and try to put a gap between <laughs> their front teeth, you know, <laughs> yeah. to do that. Or some people play, you know, Maynard played off center. So, you know, they may yeah. try to, you know, but it, it's, it, you know, I think it's, it's something physical. You know, you mentioned uh, going to YouTube and I, I think it's a great resource. I go there all the time. Oh, yeah. And in the last few years, uh, and I think I've watched all that I could find, but Derek Watkins. Oh, yeah. Even though maybe some of his playing might be a little bit dated. Yeah. There's still the, the musicality that came from him and the creativity in, in his playing. And, and of course, the ease of playing. I mean, he's another one that made it just look ridiculously easy. Oh, but man. What a, so you're a fan of his, too, I guess. Oh, yeah. Uh, Derek's an absolute legend here. Um um, I guess you would sort of, particularly our, our generation would sort of consider him to be the granddad of the trumpet here. Mm. You know, um, I unfortunately never got to work with him. I did, I had uh, one masterclass with him at the academy mm. uh, and I saw him play a couple of times, but I, I, I was just on the cusp of breaking into the industry. Just, this is 20 he passed away in 2013 15, i think 13 yeah and then they had his memorial in 2014 um it was the year after wayne came over the first time to do his set mm. um i think it was then either um maybe it was 2014 anyway i can't remember i just remember like being upset that i never got a, like a chance to actually play next to him because there's a, there's something about playing with players like um sitting next to them is a whole other experience um and it's not really about what they're it's not really about the sound that they're making or like that's all great and that's really important but it's it's what it does to your playing that i'm really interested in like right? what does it do to you <laughs> when you play next to someone like that how much does it lift you and how exciting is it um and it's not as i said it's 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 all it's all of it it's the conversation it's the it's the playing it's the it's it, it's the it's the, exci the excitement is so much that you can get from playing next to somebody of that caliber um you know i never it's funny i'd never worked with wayne before until um september 29 october 2019 um not worked with him properly you know in a section we were at the blue note in tokyo i just got off my honeymoon um i hadn't really played much and um and I was really nervous about it because I, I hadn't, as I say, I hadn't played a, a, a huge amount, but I, I, because I'd been away, but the, everything was fine, but mm -hmm. it was just one of those things you sit next to him and you just like every night, you just like looking over and you're just like, what, <laughs> <It's> like, what, <laughs> what, what even is that? Like how? Right. Right. And then, uh, you know, Wayne sort of go, Oh, my chops don't feel great. And you go, what? <laughs> You're absolutely killing this, man. Uh, mm -hmm. It's it's uh, it's amazing. Same thing. I wish I I wish I'd experienced that with Derek. I, I I have experienced that sort of feeling with a few other people. One person in particular would be Simon Gardner. Oh. He's just got this way of like. It's so hard to explain, you know. Um, but when you play next to him, and then they say there's a phrase that's like "boba bip," something like that, and like the drums are going that and then something like that. Anyway, straight after that that quarter note, the sound in the room, that's the thing you're listening to. And it's just <laughs> absolutely incredible. 
because you can't put a finger on what it is and you don't get that necessarily i mean you do get the experience out front from it that's why he's <laughs> so in demand but sitting next to it as i said it makes you play better it makes you feel better it makes you enjoy your playing more because you're getting to play next to someone that is just making everything sound like it should sound that's the thing make it sound like it make it sound like it's on a record make it sound like it's actually real you know it's it's absolutely amazing there there are only a handful of people that can really really do that and that's because there are only a handful of people that can make it sound like it's really meant to sound you know someone like (laughs) comrade gozo you know that's how it's supposed to sound like (laughs) yeah yeah so you know it's uh i've had the good fortune in the last few years i've been able to play next to rex richardson doc severinson uh ronnie rom you know and and you know these are not high profile gigs but still well first of all you know they're they're icons the idols right yeah and and they all play very differently but still yeah it seemed to i seemed to you know raise my playing that (laughs) for that yeah particularly um and i just you know i wish everybody could get that experience whether it's a gig or even a master class a clinic right something just to be able to you know even yeah. even play duets or play scales next to somebody like that you'd i think you'd learn an awful lot right yep and also interestingly enough people are so quick to sort of suggest that you get a great lead trumpet player and they make the band sound better because they're the top voice that's not what it is that that happens the reason that the lead trumpet player makes the band sound better is because everyone plays better when there's a good lead trumpet player. So you, it's a great investment in, uh, in, in like resources to, um, like uh, expected outcome. Like it, you're much better off getting like a tier below on trumpets two, three, and four, but having a great lead trumpet player there because they're going to pull everyone up everyone not just the trumpet players all the saxes are going to play better you know everyone's tuning is going to be better like everything will be better because of that one person and that and that's a lot for someone to take on board as a lead trumpet player you know the responsibility that's a whole other thing yeah but you know these guys that can do it they're the ones that you know i aspire to to be and sound like you know it's just it's just awesome and as i say it's not only about how they play it's about how they it's about how they conduct themselves in those environments as well. It's a whole mm-hmm. other thing. Um, this is all the stuff that you just don't see unless you sat there, you know? Um, and yeah. It's and, interesting and, t- really talking to up. people like uh, Greg wing or uh, Rick Baptist or uh, who else was I talking to? Uh, well, it'll come back to me. <laughs> I've, yeah. I've had quite a few interviews, uh, <laughs> some of the stuff mixed, mixed together, but you know, they're t- Oh yeah. You know, I got called to go on the road with uh, buddy rich you know, and show up and there's no rehearsal. Yeah. Right. And you got to play lead. You know, it's like, <laughs> and okay. And so even with buddy rich, right. I mean, he's infamous for being just a tyrant anyways, Oh yeah. but uh, you know, think about that pressure with what you're talking about. You're, you're a lead oh. trumpet player, but you haven't really had a chance to, to get to know anybody in the band, you know, and maybe your reputation precedes you. So, you know, it's a little easier to come and set in, yeah. but yeah, that is, that's a, that's a big burden to carry to walk in and just, I mean, you got to have, this is where a good ego is really healthy, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can get, get out of jail free cards if you're a nice guy, you know, like it, it, it that's more important than a hell of a lot of things. Um, and that's what I want to be surrounded by as well. You know, because when you're playing again, it's the same thing when you're playing with your friends and everyone is 
everyone is rooting for each other everything sounds better it just does you know yeah. like um if you've got one guy there that's just putting a spanner in the works like the whole thing goes down with it so you know my advice to the young guy is just try and enjoy what you're doing and uh, don't take it too seriously you right. know just try and enjoy it because if you yeah. enjoy it and you're a fun to be around people want to have you around and people want to have you around that then then you'll be asked so it, it, that's you know it's funny that you say my advice to young guys i mean you're you're barely 27 right <laughs> i'm very old now i tell you i yeah. really am i know what it yeah. is <laughs> well you know you make me feel i'm twice your age exactly twice <laughs> your age and it's that's not funny but um, so uh let's talk a little bit about uh, the arrangements you know the a lot of the disney tunes that you've put out there yeah um are are those your arrangements or no that their arrangements by that guy i was referring to earlier callum, oh, callum. Uh, callum yeah. Al, yeah he um he's an he's an arranging god and also damn quick at it which is really useful um from a <laughs> from a uh from a working arranger's point of view you know he's a callum's a really good decision maker so he gets he gets he runs his entire entire life based on logic it's really funny um it's really good to be around as well quite stoic as well like if um if he's presented with a problem and there's a yes or a no or like a one or a two quick question answer one or two like he'll quickly find out which is the most logically correct answer and go with it so it's really useful when you're make when you're trying to make arrangement uh, decisions quickly and you want to get things done, like um, someone will suggest there is a problem with him and he'll have a solution straight away because it's the most logical one. Um, and the result of that is um, consistently great charts written at a um, speed that is usable for everyone. Um, and he doesn't get bogged down by like decisions he made that maybe he regrets on the chart you know like he's just he's just great like that it's like when yeah. it's done it's done and then we just record it and it's always a fun process you know and because he's so quick as well i don't feel so bad when i when i disagree with a with a decision he's made in a chart and i'll just say well what about this as an idea and he'll be like oh right, cut that can't happen because um then that note will clash with this note um and i'll be like and then i'll try and sort of like offer a logical re response and he might go Oh, I guess yeah, that makes sense. Okay, well, let's do that. And then it's it's never any there's 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 never any ego associated with any of it. The the whole thing for us is that we started doing this um, as a as a partnership, if you will. Um, uh, I'm kind of the face of it, and he's sort of the brains of it, I guess, if you will. Um, it, it's it's more of a partnership than people may see because I'm the one being featured. Um, but I always have to make it quite clear as well when I do these things that you know he is the guy that's that's creating these um arrangements i produce everything so i put it all together and i mix it all and do all that sort of side of things but he is the one that is coming up with the ideas this is what i was saying earlier about having like our weak links are filled by each other's strengths and that and that's yeah. just a really really healthy um situation to be in um I, I just i just came up sorry this this horrible analogy just popped into my head it's like he's the chef creating this great meal and you're the server who brings it to the table <laughs> pretty much at that taste right it. yeah exactly yeah, yeah i mean of course you know but of course you you're much more than just the server in that but yeah, yeah sorry yeah. That, I, that i don't i know i know what you mean though it is, it's absolutely <laughs> right um or or i'm the guy choosing 
the menu and he makes mm. it. Mm-hmm. That's kind of how it goes because if I don't like the taste of it, then um, then we change it. <laughs> um, because in in the end, if I'm having to play these things and particularly live, then there has to be a bit of back and forth. And I understand arranging and harmony. It's not something that I particularly interested in. Um, so I haven't really pursued it a huge amount. Um, there are some people that are just quicker and better at it than me, and I'm probably quicker and better at something else than them. So I'll just go and do what I can do, and uh, and I'll call some someone up that I like the sound of their arrangements. It's it's never been something that I've that I thought I really need to like. I've got all this music in me. I just need getting out. It's like I'm not really like that. I feel as almost I have as much control over the finished product mm-hmm. as the arranger. Uh, being the producer because I get to make a lot of other judgment calls on things that I, I enjoy making, you know, as I say, as, mu- as much as the actual notes written down themselves. I expect all the harmony, all that to be to be taken care of. And uh, as I say, I understand it all, but it, but it, but actually putting it on the paper just, just doesn't doesn't interest me in the same way. Um, yeah. But with Cal, with Cal, that's the that's the beauty of it is that I say okay, let's do this tune. And I want it to be like this. So to give him an example of a tune. And then I'll say, and I want the ending to have like this constant feeling of rising. I remember talking to him. I don't know whether you've seen the video we did of Game of Thrones. No, I haven't seen that, that one yet. It's long and it's, um, uh, it goes on, it, it's long and it's got this big flute feature by a fantastic anyway um we play the you know the theme and we do it this kind of like bembe style it's quite cool and at the end i'm like right at the end i don't i don't care about the theme like whatever we'll just do a big high note thing at the end right but i was like what i want it to sound like is i want it to be that it's right this rising sort of bubbling uh feeling of anxiety it's just getting bigger and bigger and bigger can you like and it starts off like in middle register my middle register like with with these charts, you know, maybe like the A above the stage, you know, just sort of there, and then and then it, it will just keep going and going and going and going, but it's over a certain period of time, and the band's mm-hmm. getting bigger and bigger and feeling, and I'm sort of explaining to him, he's going, yep, yep, cool, and then I'm like, oh, he's probably not understood what I'm trying to say there, maybe I should do that, and then he the, the next day he sends me the whole finished chart, <laughs> and 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 I look at the end, it's like nine minute chart, I look at the end and I play it on Sibelius, I'm listening, I'm like. That is perfect, you know. Wow. So I'm like super excited because he's done exactly what I've asked. And then I'm, you know, putting this together. And I'm thinking, ah, you know, I feel like maybe we need a bit more sort of, you know, some like rumble going on, like some extra percussion or something. I'm like, right, okay, we'll get some percussionists. So I'm like, get four percussionists and I'm playing as well. Like all of us are just smashing stuff, you know, mm-hmm. in time, completely making it up. Like, and it's just adding to this excitement. And that's the sort of thing you get in a partnership is that I get to sort of explain to him what I think it needs and what it wants. He gets to sort of counter argue other sides of things because my, hopefully the combined decision-making is better than just one. Um, And then, uh, and then it by sort of, it, it just, it just happens over a, over a period of time. And, and we come out with this thing at the end. As I say, I'm more interested in the product than I am the, the process. So, mm-hmm. it, it, you know, if, if I have to do something that's considered deemed unmusical to make the product better, I'll do it. You know, I don't care. Mm-hmm. I want this thing to be smashing at the end. So, mm-hmm. and I'm ho- I hope as well that people can see like a progression in our work. If you look back to the first video, like 
people always want me to play that on gigs, but I'm just like, ugh, you know. Like, what, what was the first video? Let it go. Um, yeah. From from Frozen, it's cool. Yeah. It's it's cool. It's really cool. Yeah. Time. It's the first yeah. one we tried to do. We weren't even really close mates at the time. Me and Cal, we just we just thought we'd do it as a bit of a laugh. And I called up these guys, and everyone was up for it. You know, that was all there was to it. And then it did really well. So we thought we'd do another one, and then another one, and then it was like, oh, so we got a thing going on here. We'll just do some more. And then uh, over time, you know, like I I listened back to some of the first stuff, and I thought nah, I could do better now. Like I I need to. I need to re-record some of this for my record. So we re-recorded a couple of things because I needed to basically uh, make some adjustments. But yeah, the process is just really fun. You know, um, we have a whole new record in the works, but we haven't recorded any of it yet. But um, yeah, so Callum's pretty much written a whole record over lockdown, just in between doing all of his other stuff. Same yeah. process, you know, so yeah, that should be fun to do. Yeah. Uh, it was it was just a few years ago. You know, I watched music videos, and of course, when you don't know how it's done, you just look like, wow, you know, they're playing it live and recording at the same time. Mm. Well, <laughs> yeah, I realized later on that you know it's a studio recording, and of course, they just they shoot the playback. Yeah. On this, is that how you guys are doing your videos, or is this yeah. truly a live? No, it's not live. Um, uh, we record. We've done it in different ways, but um, I would say the most efficient way of doing it is because none of the guys in the band have seen any of the music, you know, before the, the day of recording. Mm -hmm. So what I tend to do is I tend to set on my cameras and I tend to get them to sort of play it down two or three times. So I'll film them. They're sort of sight reading it, usually pissing around and throwing stuff over the other side of the room and like <laughs> putting the trumpet on their head you know like be, being really unhelpful because i need to try and make a video out of this but um i you know it gives them an opportunity to see it it lets me film them without them having to do it again after they've recorded it and then we just go through so we'll just record trumpets first and i'll just record them mm. We'll do a few takes, you know, and if there's a couple of phrases that need doing five times, we'll just do them five times. No one seems to have a problem with it. Um, and um, and I just try. I'm such a perfectionist. It's just got to be perfect. So, um, yeah, yeah, it needs to be perfect. Like, I was recording something with some amazing trombone players once, and uh, I keep getting reminded of this quote that I said. But I was sitting in the box... And I got on the talkback mic and they played this thing. It's absolutely impossible to play. And they absolutely nailed it. But I felt like it needed like 2% more. You know, just, <laughs> there's just something not quite happening about it. And you've got to also gauge, this is something I've learned over the time doing these things, gauge the morale of the room. Because mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's your job to get them to play as well as you can. So it's not only about roasting them. It's also about getting them to play well. So there's a certain amount of roasting you can do. But at the same time, you have to get them to buy into it and mm -hmm. want to keep doing it. So I'm sitting there on the mic, listening to it, I'm like, oh, you know, my initial reaction is, guys, you absolutely nailed that. It was perfect. And then they were like, yay. And then I was thinking, I was like, yeah, um, actually, yeah, but perfect isn't good enough. So we're going to do it again, you know. <laughs> so I'm like making them do it again. They're all thinking they've got got it down. I'm like, no, 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 no. We're going to have to do it again. And um, the, it's something I've learned over doing these things is that it's very clear when you get that take. 
it's it's weird like particularly when you're recording it in this quite unmusical way it's a very functionally good way and it's very efficient with your resources way but it is it's uh, maybe would you consider it to be slightly more unmusical um or less musical mm-hmm. and um what i've learned is that everyone in the room knows when it's the one when you have that take so you're all sitting there and you play it and and you you don't even need to say anything you just go and again again oh that was pretty good i like what you did there and they're like yeah i like that as well okay and again and then suddenly there'll be one time they play and everyone in the room goes yeah that was it and then and then you're good you can kind of just move on do something else you know but like those moments i think are as exciting as the rest of it you know like and i'm talking like half a percent here every single time these guys play this stuff it always Mm -hmm. sounds killing like you could get them to play one take and it would be killing it'd be perfect but i'm well i wouldn't it perfect wouldn't be good enough i I would need (laughs) i would need it to be that that half percent is the difference between you know someone like i guess maybe you could make a better judgment on people that don't like it than do because generally speaking people do like it Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. get more people that don't like it to like it because that half percent so that's kind of what's going through my head and also I got to sit there for hours and hours listening to it. And if if third trumpet is playing a D ever so slightly sharp, and I could have got him to do it again, I'm going to get him to do it again because I don't want to mm-hmm. sit there and listen to that, you know. So, and they all get that, and they all want to do it, and they know that the product at the end is going to be good. So I'm a bit of a tyrant in there, but it's only for people that want to be involved, and people want to be involved. So I'm very very lucky, you know. Well, I mean, this obviously speaks to your success, not just over the last few years, but from the time you picked up drumsticks, right? I mean, you probably, this was there from the beginning. I think so, Right, yeah. and then, yeah, so. Uh, Perfectionism. You're only, and you're only 27. I mean, can you imagine <laughs> <laughs> what kind of damage you're gonna do by the time you're 50? Well, maybe or I'll be fed up with the whole thing and throwing it up and just be fixing showers for the rest of my life. Yeah. I don't know. No, no, um, no. Well, if you do, <laughs> they'll they'll be perfect. But they'll be the best moment. showers in the world. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, so. that's the, that's that's the aim anyway. That's the goal. I hope I can get there. That's kind of the idea. Yeah. But that's my attitude to the whole thing. I think it's yeah. a it's a fun way to be. But yeah. yeah. Man, this has been great. You know, I I wish I had actually pushed record. Uh, at the beginning of this, <laughs> I, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It is. It is <laughs> Can we go back and do all that again? <laughs> yeah. Word for word for word. So now, yeah. Lewis, uh, this this really has been good, and uh, I I've had a blast listening to you, man. And, and you know, oh, it's thank you. Sometimes you wonder, young players, you still young, you know, do they have enough experience? Do they have enough uh, the ability to communicate? And you do. You, you've oh, got that. You. And uh, it's nice because I will say, and I'm going to edit this part out, but I have interviewed some younger players yeah. who I have to pull answers out of. It's like, uh, oh, really? well, I, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is, <laughs> this is That's hard. It must be hard work. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I haven't had that in a very long time, but uh, I learned, I learned uh, anyways. Um, How to get no, that. thank you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Thank you for the time this morning. This or the uh, afternoon. I, I had a great time. I love talking about trumpet. I love talking about different things like this. It's yeah. been it's been absolute pleasure. And uh, if you know if we want to ever do it again, we can talk about um, go into a bit more detail with some of the things we we discussed today. I'd be more than happy to do so. It'd be great. Well, uh, I might 
uh, when your album finally comes out, that might be a good time to to touch base and uh, yeah, you know, promote sure. that a little bit too. So yeah, you have a title. That. You have a title for that one yet? No, we're still. I, I would say we're 70, 70 or seventy five percent of the way through mm. conceptualizing it. And once we get the concept together and we start recording it, then we'll get a better idea of like where it's going to be. And then maybe it'll be a title track or we'll come up with a different name. I'm not really sure. So mm -hmm. no, we're not, we're not quite there yet. We're probably six months to a year off. Depends on how, how I decide to do the record, um, yeah. whether I decide to do it in isolation or we try and do it out of isolation. They're, they're the right. kind of, that's the thing. So we'll have to yeah. see. Yeah. So uh, this popped into my head, of course, Louis Armstrong, you know, a lot of people mm. call them Louie. Uh, anybody yeah. ever call you Louie? I am a Louie. That's my name. Oh, you are. Yeah. It's not, it's not Louis. But I, I, I appreciate, no, it's not. But I appreciate any, uh, any American that calls me Louis is doing it because that's what the name is in the U.S. Here, L-E-W-I-S is Louis. L-O-U-I-S is Louis from France. So I'm not French, but I have a French name. My, my parents gave me a French name. So I am considered Louis. I've even, you know, started maybe even writing it L-O-U-I-E just, just to help people out. But um, I, I am used now to Americans calling me Louis. And, uh, and I'm, I appreciate when they do, because I know that when they call me Louis, it's a sign of um, uh, formality and respect mm -hmm. um, because uh, I know that maybe in the U.S., if there's a Lewis, they might have a nickname as Louis or something. Right, um, or Lou. Or Lou, yeah, exactly. So, um, but my name is Louis. So shout it loud and clear. Um, so I'm going to cut and, and edit this part and put it at the beginning <laughs> of the interview because yeah, I think yeah. that might answer a question for a lot of people, right? But, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I, it's my mom's fault for choosing a, a complicated name uh, and, and my dad's fault for having a complicated last name. But uh, either way, my name is Louis Dowdswell. Um, and, uh, and I, but I must say, you know, I don't, I, I'm used to being called Lewis and it's not a big deal to me, but um, yeah. Uh, I know why Americans do it, and it, it makes perfect yeah. sense. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, Louis, thanks, man. <laughs> thanks <so laughs> I, much, again, Larry. I appreciate it, and uh, I'll I'll keep you posted on on when this comes out. So please, yeah, yeah. All right, cheers. Fantastic. All right, man. I'll see you soon. Yeah, thanks so right. much. Cheers. You're welcome. Thank you. Bye bye. bye, -bye.